a program that I think people can use and um, look into is Houzz, H-O-U-Z-Z. And a lot of times I literally get one of those Home Depot or Lowe's buckets and sit in the corner for 30 minutes and stare at, you know, something in, in a certain room and flip through and create an idea book. You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Risser, Executive Vice President, Strategic Partnerships with Rate My Agent, a digital marketing platform designed to help great agents harness the power of verified reviews. For more information, head on over to ratemyagent.com. Listen in as I interview industry leaders and get their stories and journeys to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 315 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend, in case you didn't know that. And uh, today, I get to talk to somebody that, going back to my Inman days, I've had literally hundreds of guests on this podcast that I met through the Inman world. And for this one, it was someone I ran into at an Inman in Vegas when they first were in Las Vegas. And it's Bennett Clark. Bennett Clark is with Remax Creative Realty in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, and got some very interesting stories. You know me, I love sports. We're going to talk a little sports. We're also going to talk about how he got into the business and one of the advantages he had um, with with a little bit of uh, extra knowledge. So we'll share that when we get in there. But let's get this thing going. Bennett, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I I guess you and I are like Vegas buddies because every time I've ever met you in person or seen you in person, we're in Las Vegas, right? I think that's right. Yeah. Um, multiple Inman events. I we've we we ran into each other for the first time at an Inman conference. Saw you there in the next couple of years, and of course, COVID hits, and we kind of I lost touch with you. But then, sure enough, I'm back in Vegas. We're at the R4 Remax conference, and uh, I hear someone say, "Hey, Bill," and it's you, and uh, that was cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I love being able to just walk through those aisles of people and just you know left and right be able to pick out people especially from from years past. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it, I think it's especially because you've been Remax your whole career, I think, right? Almost. I've been with Almost. Remax 12 years and I've been licensed for 15. Perfect. So, you got a lot of connections, I'm sure that a lot of referral partners and those kinds of things you've built at those conferences, right? Absolutely. I yeah. mean, the more you can go to those conferences and spread out your network, uh, the better, yeah. for sure. I know you're, you live in Lexington, Kentucky. I think you're a native, is it Kentuckian? Am I saying that right? Yeah, is that the right that's word? right. <laughs> so am I right there? Yes. Yeah. I grew up in Danville, Kentucky, and I've lived in Lexington since about 2006. Okay. Let's, I, I like asking people this question. I've had, I think I've had a guest or two from Kentucky before, but I, give me, give me the, give me the pros about living in Lexington or growing up in Danville. And are there, what are the negatives if there are any? Um, you know, Lexington and central Kentucky is just one of the most beautiful places around. A lot of times I tell people who don't know much about Kentucky, it's like the Scotland or Ireland of North America. But around here we have four very distinct and full seasons. So you get that changing, you know, every couple months and, uh, it's always pretty no matter what, you know, what time of year it is. But just in general, it's it's um, it's a nice area with with friendly people. Um, you know, more recently, we've got a lot of big businesses coming in. It's a great place for investors. It's a great place for homeowners. And then just in general, we have a lot of fun, additional things that just kind of come along with being um, 
being in Kentucky. And, you know, so a lot of that's around University of Kentucky. A lot of it's around the horse racing industry. And then obviously uh, there's a huge bourbon industry that just dominates uh, the tourism here. I can vouch for that because I was just in Louisville <laughs> mm-hmm. for the for another conference and and got to had a had my first bourbon tasting and it was nice. very cool and I'm I'm now a uh, uh, I'm a convert I I'm, I had a couple of different ways to drink it and whether it was neat or on the rocks or in an old fashioned and it's pretty cool so yeah there's no wrong way to enjoy bourbon you just <laughs> Need to enjoy it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, so yeah. I got to ask you the question. I, uh, um, we're, you're in Kentucky, and there's there are two big schools in Kentucky. One of them is uh, you mentioned UK, but what about? And there's also Louisville. So uh, what's uh, where do you, where do you fall? Oh well, not many people like Loserville, but um, <laughs> yeah, we've been trying to give it away to Indiana for years, but I guess they don't want them either. Right across but, the Ohio, but they they just yeah. don't take them, right? Okay, yeah. yeah. No, I mean it's it's a uh, the state in general is heavily Kentucky fans, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably 90%. And then the Louisville fans are either in Louisville or just scattered here and there. But even in Louisville, it's probably 50, 50. Okay. All right. So, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 big. I don't know, but the, the, I know that the wildcats, but the blue is everywhere. I know that everywhere. <laughs> I got to see everywhere. that myself. Yeah. Firsthand. Okay. I, I have to ask you this because, and this will lead into the next question, but, for you, is it Djokovic, Federer, or Nadal? You got to tell me because I know you're into tennis. So which one? Yeah, it's Nadal all the way, and uh, primarily that's because he reminds me of Andre Agassi, and that was my idol growing up. And the playing style, uh, I guess you know, long points, hustling to every ball, wearing people down, you know. So I've always uh, either had Agassi equipment, always used those head rackets. Or later, I started using any of the Babolat rackets that Nadal used. So yeah. um, I did kind of start liking Federer a little bit more over the years, but I've never liked Djokovic. Yeah, good on you. <laughs> I'm right on board with you on the Joker. Just kind of, yeah. I don't know, just kind of rubbed me the wrong way from, from mm-hmm. the get go. Um, so you, let's talk about it. you. You go to college. Uh, where'd you go to school? Center College in Danville. Okay, mm-hmm. and then um, you played tennis in college so you're you're and, and even i think did some coaching right after i mean I it's, it's a yeah. big sport for you yeah so it ended up being my favorite sport there at center i played three so it was a lot on my plate but tennis ended up being kind of the primary one of the three and then shortly after graduating um i ended up going back and coaching for another five years what are the other two sports you played besides tennis uh, football and basketball I, that just for me, I, I think that's amazing. Um, I, I'm, I'm just going to guess you're the only guy I, I, that was in school at the time you were in school that played those three sports. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a couple two sport athletes, and I think there's there's really only one other guy that I knew that did three at some point, and he was a football, basketball, and baseball. So yeah, yeah. But it's uh, yeah. I mean, you're you're talking about a full year when you're going in early before everybody else in August. And you don't get finished until about a week before finals and, you know, maybe into May. Um, So not a lot of days off, not a lot of weekends off, fair amount of travel. But um, it was fun. It was great. I wouldn't wouldn't really change it. I say you're playing, practicing or studying one of the three all the time. Yeah, for sure. 
before I wrap up on the history of Bennett Clark, let's uh, give me your give me your favorite distillery, right? Because there's so many that are you know oh, I get yeah. to see. I looked at a map; it's just incredible what's happening there. Do you have one yeah. you like the best? Well, there's many to visit on the Bourbon Trail. So many that I haven't been able to go to all of them, and I think we take for granted being from here, not visiting some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually became a bourbon steward, which is basically just to help educate on the truths behind bourbon, what it is, different variations of, of practicing, uh, whatever bourbonism, if you can call it. Sure. Um, but I think if I were going to tell anybody coming here, I would definitely make a stop at Maker's Mark and Woodford Reserve um, just because you're going to get a little bit more sense of the true history. It takes you back in time. You see how it was done. If you go to Maker's Mark, it's kind of like a little Sherwood Forest type of place. Wow. And you get to dip your own bottle. And, you know, it's just uh, it's a it's very different. It's probably pretty unexpected experience for most people. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's well known, um, uh, makers market yeah. Woodford reserve are probably two of the most commercialized and marketed. They may not be the best in my opinion, as far as taste or profile, but there are so many popping up and, yeah. um, luckily I've been able to be a part of a new one that was resurrected, um, by RD one, uh, spirits, which is the first registered distillery in Lexington. The first product that they put out is called uh, Old William Tar, uh, one of the original owners. And that has since been backed by Coach Mark Stoops, the Kentucky football coach. So it's really with his with his backing and the team doing well um, and just the fanfare that goes with it, that's really taken off. Uh, it's also a really good bourbon. They're coming out with new variations, you know, uh, as much as possible. But, um, yeah, there's so many good ones. Willet is one of my favorites. Um, I like a good rye. So there's, I mean, there's so many. It's hard to pick one. Yeah. Buffalo Trace is awfully um, popular. I learned so much. And one of them was it's really hard to make a 12, to have enough 12 year old bourbon on hand because 12 years ago, who knew it was going to blow up like it's blown up today. So some of those things are really hard to find. And when you find them, they're not cheap. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'd also recommend people need to go watch the bourbon heist on Netflix. There you go. Cool. Pretty good. Good. So all the bourbon fans out there are taking care of, we can, we can, we can, we'll move on from on that now. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me, um, first gig out of college. I always like to ask my guests that. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, literally was sitting around my senior year wondering what in the world I was going to do. And, uh, I typed in, even at the time it was, it was like on Yahoo, not Google. Yeah. And, uh, I put in sports and development and on like the third page, I came across a golf, golf course architects of America, hmm. uh, website. And there was one guy in Kentucky and I just called him up and said, how do you get going in this business? And, said, you have interesting timing. Uh, why don't you come up and interview? And so I, for a little bit less than a year, I did an apprenticeship for that guy and was able to work on some really interesting courses and at least see him work on courses that were being revamped and renovated, right. um, which included notable ones like Colonial, uh, Southern Hills, uh, Baltimore Country Club, 
you know, a lot of um, really interesting places that host big tournaments too. Yeah. Private clubs that are, uh, (laughs) yeah. Things that are courses. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So to go, to go through and continue on that, you'd have to get an architecture type degree, which is another four or five years of pretty specific type stuff, but it was a very fun and interesting first gig. Well, let's talk about you getting into real estate. What happens there? Yeah. My father has done quite a bit of development. Um, and just as a kid, I was always kind of following him around, looking at land, going to auctions, um, just kind of being around it. And this was July of 2007. So I was going to be doing like industrial and commercial development right at a time that it just, as soon as I got licensed, that changed. So I was young and naive enough to not even know that once you pass your test, you have to put it, put your license with a broker. Um, so uh, I kind of went with a, a company in my hometown with a, is a Colwell banker back home and just got into residential. Cause that was pretty much the only thing going. And it took a little while to, to get going. Even then 2007 and eight, you know, I was 23 and the next youngest person in the office was probably 45. We still had to go to each office and physically get the key, you know, just, just kind of the old school real estate was still in play, but not for long. And then that, that all changed very quickly. You started to see the actual Bluetooth lock boxes and uh, different MLS feeds and Zillow popping into the world. Um, So it changed quickly. And then I kind of changed with it. Um, I was approached by a developer who wanted to build some new construction in a golf course community. So that led to getting into new construction. So I ended up building about 10 new construction homes out there in Georgetown, Kentucky. Transitioned from there into renovations and with kind of a specialty in historic properties. Tell me how old, when you say historic, because I, I grew up in San Diego and <laughs> historic means 1930 or 40. Um, <laughs> how far back are we talking? Yeah. The house I'm currently living in is the second or third oldest house in Lexington, and it is dated 1789. And when it was built, it was Virginia. Oh, so, my. Yeah. Okay. Kentucky was 1792. So it was part of Virginia for a couple of years. And that's the oldest one that I've done, but it just so happens to be the one I'm currently living in. But I've done 1880s, 1900. Um, several in that range all the way to 1950s. Okay. I want to ask you a question. You mentioned the age difference. I I think that's a huge advantage for you. I think people that get into real estate at an early age and understand that the potential can really move quickly. And I think some of those changes you said that occurred that all of a sudden tech became important and Zillow pops up. Some of those older agents probably just either, you know, said, oh, whatever, or they couldn't handle it. Um, so c- kind of talk about that. I'm sure that you had an advantage on others, even though they might have had those years of experience, you had something else. Yeah, um, I think I ended up getting kind of the boost early on once the recession was over because people uh, gravitated towards the new technology, mm-hmm. the want of instant gratification that has become the normal part of real estate in today's market. And although I'm not the techiest person, I was much more advanced than 
the general agent. Um, now it's gotten a lot younger and a, a lot more techie beyond what I really understand, but it definitely helped early on. And um, I capitalized on using some of the lead generation sites mm -hmm. to introduce myself to people, uh, especially if you're young and you look young like I did. It was hard to get, you know, your general 55, 60 year old man to work with you. But if you could use and utilize tools that would then show a different type of expertise or helps you in your performance, then it helped break down some of those barriers. But since then, I think it's it's changing again. I mean, I'm trying to always do the opposite almost of what the crowd is doing. So, you know, this last year I've been writing tons of personal notes and just having conversations and, and not buying leads like I used to. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's, it's kind of more like sowing the seeds and then waiting to see what pops up. But yeah. I think it'll prove to be good. And especially I think, you know, if we see a lot of agents jump out of them, out of this industry in the next year or two. Right. Yeah. Look, relationships. I, I've always been a fan of agents who look at a relationship as um, a very powerful piece of the puzzle when it comes to building a business that's going to be something that keeps growing and growing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Not only did you have this age difference, but your ability to to look at a property, say for a buyer or even for a seller, and your knowledge about construction, renovation, all that stuff, once again, you know, I think a lot of realtors can kind of talk about it and maybe gloss over it. But when you're the person who's done that work and still does that work, that has to be a, another huge advantage. Yeah, in certain situations, it's definitely helped. Um, I think one of the biggest assets I can bring to people is help seeing what can become of something. A lot of people can't see through walls, and I can. The best example I have of this is really, as far as from a sales aspect, I had a lady call me and asked me to renovate her home, which was going to be a big project where she ripped off the roof and and really go was going to go to a lot of cost. And I said, you know, I put the realtor hat back on. I said, you're not going to get your money back out um, in this neighborhood if you do this, at least for a long time. You know, what's the reason you're going to be doing this? And she said, well, my mom's going to be moving in with us. And it's, you know, I said, would you take, you know, X amount for this property? And, and where's your mom live? And she lived on the other side of the town. So I ended up listing her house, listing her mom's house and then sold them a property nearby, but in a neighborhood that could support that type of renovation. And then I did the renovation for them. So that was one that just happened to be, you know, two listings, one buyer representation and then a, another fun project. Yeah, that's that's awesome. The ability to, well, I like the way you say it, see through walls because um, you can you can take that in a whole lot of different levels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just seeing, seeing through the uh, the walls, some of those walls are just people's hesitation to do something different yeah. or, or just nervous about it. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And it's not always really something that you just, it just, you happen to have, I've had a lot of, a lot of help, but a program that I think people can use and um, look into is house H O U Z Z. And a lot of times I literally get one of those home Depot or Lowe's buckets and sit in the corner for 30 minutes and stare at, you know, something in, in a certain room 
and flip through and create an idea book of similar shaped or similar style projects that people have already done and, and use ideas from that along with sitting there just staring at these spaces to create a good plan, you know, plan of action. I, I saw some of your work on a website, uh, renovatelex.com, I guess I'll call it, right? That's uh, right. Just renovate and lex.com. And it, it, it was, it, it looks like it's in conjunction with house. Like you've got some of uh, some of your idea books or projects or whatever they call them there. Uh, and I remember looking at one kitchen that was really pretty ugly, you know, it had some color in it and you probably know the one I'm talking about and it had some yeah. weird pop out. I don't know what was on the other, maybe there's a fireplace on the other side or something, mm-hmm. but, but you were able to, uh, it, it just became this beautiful, um, it looked like granite and all kinds of great stuff. How all of a sudden happened in that kitchen. So, so that's been, a, like you said, a huge help. Yeah. And that specific website, there's different functions. Um, you can post your projects kind of like portfolios. Hmm. And um, I think the power of before and after pictures is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and people love that. So even from a marketing standpoint, that, that definitely helps. But again, the, the mention of the idea books, that's kind of a separate part of what they do. And you can create your own and you can even go in and see mine. So wow. if somebody wants to see the evolution and inspiration over time, you can say, oh, okay, I see where you got that from. And they can copy that and do the same thing and create their own idea books, whether that's an outdoor patio, um, a new garage with an apartment above it, you know, just interior, exterior, whatever it may be. And it covers the whole spectrum of remodeling. So um, it's a good fit. Early on, did you realize the importance of uh, taking photos during the whole process? Because people sometimes people don't do that. Yeah. So um, when I first started building in about 2010, I ran across a program called Photosynth. Okay. And I believe I I only used it for a short period of time because it was truly was clunky and it was it took a lot of time to to piece things together. But over time, you could like I would always go stand on a certain manhole in the street and take the same picture every day of the construction. So you see it being built from the foundation to the roof and then the brick and then whatever. And then you use this program to kind of do a very quick uh, build out of the project. You know, instead of 180 days, it might be 18 seconds. Yeah. Um, So there's, that was kind of the start of it, but I had abandoned it because it was, again, it was a lot of work for a little reward Mm -hmm. and, but I've always wanted to use the before and afters, especially in the renovations. So I always have taken a lot of photos um, along the way. And I think it's important um, for different aspects. Uh, a lot of times if I gut something, I want to see where certain plumbing or how certain walls are supported. A lot of times I'll be talking to a, a, an electrician or a plumber three months later and they said, where did we put this? And well, I've got, I've got that with the wall open, you know, and so there's a lot of different reasons. Um, but I think just documentation of everything you do um, really kind of helps. When we chatted at R4, uh, you had a, a, a marketing specialist, a marketing director was with you. And we, we chatted mm-hmm. a little bit and 
but it's so important to know what you're really good at and what you're not so good at. Is that a fair Absolutely. assessment? Cause I'm the same way. Yeah, for sure. So talk about yeah, adding that, that piece of the puzzle to your business. He's come into our office, um, not by me, but mm-hmm. by, um, other, you know, other powers, the brokers, the owners, mm-hmm. and he's really changed the face of some of the marketing, um, I'm guilty of not using him as much as I should. You know, he's much more knowledgeable on a lot of this stuff, especially with how relevant Google is these days. Um, stuff like that. I really need to, if there's one thing I should really improve with him is doing some video. And I think the reason why I always went away from doing it is I would take the video, but I don't know how to edit it or if I could, it would take me 10 times longer than somebody else uh, who really knows what they're doing to do that. So that might be a good next step, you know, really to lean on him and others like him uh, that have better knowledge of, of certain things like that than I do. Yeah. I, I, I look, I think that renovation stuff and just some of those old properties, it's just built for that kind of uh, exposure, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that's cool. What what else? What else in your business? Is there something you look at and you think you know, in the next five years, I'd really like to be doing this better or maybe be off in someplace even different. Is there something in the future for Bennett Clark and what's happening? I want to be um, as broad a professional in, in this real estate industry as possible. With some new ownership of our office, they've brought in the idea to build a commercial division. Um, so about a month ago, I went and finished my commercial designation through Remax University. They call that the ACP designation. Um, A lot of other commercial people would recognize CCIM, Mm -hmm. but that requires quite a bit of past progress, you know, productivity and uh, a lot of numbers. So you can get that, but you have to build up to it. It's not something that's just given. Beyond that, I mean, I've always kind of chased the Remax LLC dream just because I've met so many of them through the years. And I think I might be able to help other agents and other offices, maybe even more so than, than myself. I just, I just like the business aspect of it and the networking aspect of it. You know, we'll see what the future holds. So just, you just have to stay open-minded. Yeah. Well, Ben, we're coming up on the, on the half hour mark. I'd like to keep the shows there. So I'm going to give you that same final question I've asked every guest and um, get your response. And that's what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started? We have an obligation to, as a fiduciary to do us, do our clients right by, you know, what a fiduciary is. And we have an ethical commitment to other agents to do the right thing. Um, so I think really over time, I've seen that kind of, uh, disintegrate. And I think if you're an agent that puts that before anything else, before your marketing, before your whatever else you're trying to get accomplished, that's going to probably take you the the furthest and keep you in the industry the longest. You have to have a good reputation and you have to make sure that you're taking care of number one, which is your, your clients. Um, and you know, working almost every deal, you're going to be working with another agent. So I would really, you know, reinforce that mindset for new agents getting in, just do the right thing. 
and the rest will take care of itself. I love that. I'll tell you, 300, this is episode 315, Bennett. And I think that's the first time somebody's been that specific about that, that part of the business. So awesome. Congratulations. It's hard to get a new one on me. (laughs) There you go. If somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I'd just say, just give me a call. Um, Straight up. My cell phone number is 859-333-0570. But just like anybody else, you can find me on Facebook um, and anywhere on the web. But yeah, just give me a call. Um, I like to meet new people. Uh, I like to network and exchange ideas. Who knows? You may end up on a podcast after meeting somebody for five, six years ago. <laughs> Bennett, this has been great. Uh, thank, thank you so much for stopping me in the hallway at the uh, MGM Grand and sure. having that quick conversation. It's been a, I should have had you on here a long time ago, but but you had a few more things happen. So this is probably even better. I, I, yeah. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions. Please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash RE Sessions to leave a review or a rating and subscribe to the Real Estate Sessions podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. (laughs) 